The kingdom of God is constantly at odds with the kingdom of man. And that has been made abundantly clear by people throughout the age of the church. As far back as the 5th century, St. Augustine wrote the book, The Kingdom of God, titled that. And it was a contrast between the kingdom of God and Rome. Because Rome at that time was at its, it was beginning to to wane in its uh, in its power, but it was still plenty strong. And he wrote this whole book. It's a, it's Augustine is not Augustine is not for the faint of heart, and it's a big thick book, but uh, it's worth reading though. And then later on, just recently in 1987, uh, Chuck Colson, you probably f- uh, familiar with him from his prison ministries and from Watergate. And uh, anyway, uh, he passed on just a few years ago, but he was a great man. And, and he, uh, he wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. And in that book, he did the same thing, only he brought it, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world that has been set up in modern times. And if you want to see the contrast between those two kingdoms, you can see them everywhere you look today. And... Uh, Paul, when he, when he wrote his epistles, all 13 of them, just about every one of them, he does the same thing. He makes a contrast between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom. And he talks about people who will inherit the kingdom of God and people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in some places, cases, he's very uh, clear about that. Um, in Romans chapter 8, he refers to the flesh Versus the spirit, and he talks about living in the spirit, Holy Spirit of God. That's the difference between such a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the spirit Jesus has left the spirit with us to comfort us and to and to remind us of all the things that that he that he gave us, all the words that he gave us in the New Testament, and um, and so the Holy Spirit does that, and and when we live in the spirit then the things that, that we do are the fruit of the Spirit. It's just like, any, it's like the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine is, is grape, and, and, and then later on, wine. And, and the fruit of the apple tree, of course, is apples, and later on, apple pies. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is also laid out very clearly in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 22 and 23. And um, he talks about, Paul's talking about walking in the, uh, in the flesh and in the spirit. I'll read it to you real quickly here. Um, first of all, he lays out all, it's funny because there are like 16 different things he talks about for the flesh, and there are only nine for the spirit. So that's because the flesh, all, the, the, the devil seems to always have a whole lot of lies, and, uh, and they just seem to be abundant everywhere you look. So adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelry, and the like. At least 16 fruit works of the flesh. And he dismisses the whole thing with those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's it you want to do all that stuff and if you love that stuff and boy there's a lot of people who do but if you do then it's got words for you and they're not very pleasant and it's true 
But then he goes on in verse 22 and 23, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit, will be crucified and and crucified to the flesh with its passions and desires and walk by the Spirit, produce fruit consisting of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things there is no law. Isn't that neat? You ever find a law against any of that? It just, it can't do it. It's from the Holy Spirit. And so you just don't see that happening. So today, I'd like to talk about those those uh, fruits. And um, there's a difference between fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Because Paul talks about those too, especially in Corinthians. And and in, he talks about them again in Romans too. Um the gifts are something that God gives us. We don't deserve it. He just gives the gift to us, and he does it as he sees fit. And he gives different gifts to different people, and sometimes he gives more than one gift to the same person. Sometimes he gives multiple gifts to the same person. It, it's up to him. He simply does it as he sees fit. And we know about the Holy Spirit because we we got a real good picture of the Holy Spirit in in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus went to visit Jesus. I don't know how many of you saw the movie or the, the show that was on last year called The, um, um, the Chosen. And in, that, in, in, in episode 7, there was a scene that they did about Jesus, about Nicodemus coming to visit Jesus. And I don't think I ever saw anything quite like that. I had never, ever seen a dramatic portrayal of that encounter between those two gentlemen ever in my life before like that. It was so moving. And so many other millions of people have commented the same thing. But Nicodemus really wanted to know. And Jesus really explained it to him so clearly. The Holy Spirit moves where he will, and he does what he wants, and we don't know where he is at any given point. We cannot see him, but he's there, just like the wind is there. And let me tell you, the wind can be a tiny little breeze like it was when Elijah, when it passed in front of Elijah, a tiny little whisper, or it can be a huge hurricane like there was on the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, we know what hurricanes are like because we know how how powerful the wind. Have you ever seen pictures of, of houses and buildings where the roof are just lifted clear off and just flipped off into the distance from the wind? That's how powerful the wind can be. So that's the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit lives within us and we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit completely and we and we pray that God will do things with us, we can expect that we're going to we're going to see him do everything from the little from the little whispers to the huge hurricanes. And we don't know where it's going to come from and we don't know where he's going to use us. We just have to be open to it and ready to go. So let me let me go through these, and I'll just talk a little bit about each one of them, okay? It starts off with love, and I always love that, because love is a very ambiguous word, in English especially. In, in, in Greek, we have four words for it, and in English, we have one word. You can always tell if a word's ambiguous real easily by go look it up in the dictionary. And if you look it up in the dictionary and you find out there's a whole page of definition for it, it's ambiguous. If you find it, if you find a single definition for it, it's very unambiguous. Fortunately, Latin, the language in Latin was very unambiguous. Latin had just about a word for everything. Greek was close to it. And so 
That's why we have all those words for love in the Greek language. And, and of course, politicians just love ambiguous words because they can never get pinned down on anything because they can always move from one, one meaning to the other. And you've heard Pastor John say that, that, that context is very important because we can look up a definition of a word, but sometimes the definition isn't clear because it's an ambiguous word like love. And so then we have to go to the context or where was, where did we find this word? And, and what was surrounding it? What was the text surrounding it? The context. Con is the, is the Latin word for with. And, uh, so what was with the text to help us to understand it? And with love, love, of course, it's, it's, it's not, um, um, storge. We've heard of that before. Uh, familial love, the love for a mother and her child or for a mama bear and her cubs. Uh, phileo, which is, of course, brotherly love. And, of course, we all know what eros is. That's plenty, plenty popular in today's world. It's agape. And that's the word that, that Paul uses is agape when he lay, when he lays out this list of fruits of the spirit. And so agape love is perfect love. It's the love that is self-sacrificial. It's the love that lays down one's life for one's friend. It's the love that a man lays his life down when he marries, and a woman lays her life down when she marries. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. And that kind of love is what comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when we are following and walking with the Holy Spirit, then we are certainly going to expect to see that kind of love in our life. It's just going to be there. Um, I have some notes for that here. Let's see if I come down. There's a lot of scripture that talks about love, and um, I'll just pick one of them here. There's, there's one from, uh, actually it's, it's two from Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. says, we ought to always give thanks for you, brethren, as it is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. So there you have a great example of love among the brethren growing amongst each other. That's us. That's us here. And that's the one thing that I noticed the very first time I ever came to, to this church was I could, I could feel love here. I felt people loved each other and always, always have felt that here and always feel that when I'm listening to, to, uh, to Pastor John preach. Um, you can feel that he loves us and he loves God's word and he tries to get us connected with God's word. So that's the kind of love that we're talking about here. The second one is interesting because it's a little bit of a contrast. He said, it's in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and he's talking about what's going to come across upon the world in the last days. And, and, the, and the world is going to be deceived. There are going to be people who know about Jesus. A lot of people who know about Jesus. There are going to be people who are Christian nominally, in name only. They're not believers. And so Paul says, and with the deception of wickedness, for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth, as to be saved. Truth, God is truth. And if we don't love the truth, we don't love God. I taught for, for several years at the end of my career. And one of the things that was paramount in my mind every time I walked into that classroom, I taught high school kids, and that can be a really challenge, real challenge. And, and every time I walked into that classroom, the one thing that I wanted God to do with me was to make sure 
that I showed them in what I said and what I taught them the truth. Said, Lord, I may not have all the answers about the truth, but you do. And I, I want you to use me to teach them how to seek the truth. And of course, in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, his God said, uh, God says through Jeremiah, he says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you seek him with truth and with all of your heart, you'll find him." And that's what I'm hoping and praying that those kids did. So, love is a many faceted, many sided word, but it's also a word that moves the world. Was it love covers a multitude of sins? Um, we're ma- a lot of us in here are married. I think almost most all of us are. And um, um, we don't always get along great with our spouses, but we love our spouses. And because we love our spouses, we love God. Uh, I often refer to it as the triangle, where you have the man and the woman here, and you have God up here. And as each one, man and woman, move closer to God, guess what? You move closer to each other, too. So finally, when you get up here, like you get, you get old like Letha and I, then uh, uh, I, me, I'm six years older than her. So anyway, when you get older, you get, you get closer because you're closer to God and it's just it's a wonderful relationship then. So I would encourage that. Okay, so we have love. The next thing we have is joy. Now that's a good one because joy, and the, and the Greek word for, for uh, joy is, is kara. And... Uh, it means delight or great gladness. Um, there, there was a, a, a preacher, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, and he used to he used to teach back in the eighties. He was with uh, Keith Green and his Last Days Ministries. He was Welsh, and he came over here to America because he really liked Keith Green, and he loved the songs that Keith Green wrote. And so he w- traveled with him, and he preached a lot. But he was a fire he was a real firebrand. And uh, anyway, he, he, he preached a, a sermon that was called The Judgment Seat of Christ. It's famous. And, um, and in that, he talks about a couple of things that are very appropriate today. This is back in the 80s, the mid-80s. And he's talking about sport being king in America and entertainment being queen in America. And, of course, he goes on to talk about the frailties of that and the and how it can lead so easily to wickedness. But one of the things that he did mention, and I used to always, I used to always write this on the board for my students. Usually, the first day of class always would spark all kinds of controversy. And that was he, he said that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And you think about that, and it's so true. People go for entertainment, but that's all it is. It's empty. You know, it, it, you, entertainment's defined as simply passing the time in a happy, you know, in a happy way. But it's passing the time, what it is. And joy, on the other hand, that's a whole different situation. Joy is beautiful. And when you experience joy, you're going to know that you've experienced it. I had a great opportunity to experience joy, baptism a couple of weeks, two or three weeks ago. When, uh, when the two Andrews and, and Rochelle got baptized. And they came up out of that water and they walked back up there, looked at their faces, and it was just pure joy. That was, it's the most wonderful thing in the world is to see that on someone's face. And there it was. So I've got a little anecdote here that I want to read you. This was written, this was, was I get this thing called RZIM uh, 
called a slice of infinity. I've been getting it for about 20 years now. And uh, it's uh, something they put, it's a little, a little uh, newsletter that they put out every day. Kind of like a, kind of like a devotional, but, but it usually is based somewhere in the classics and then in scripture. And uh, this particular one was talking about um, joy. And, uh, and, and the person who was writing this wrote that William Haslam, who was a preacher in 1851 in England, wrote about his own conversion on the pul- in the pulpit while he was giving a, a, a sermon. And this is what he wrote. And this is really, this is really, this is joy. Okay. So I went into the pulpit and gave out my text. I took it from the gospel of the day. What think ye of Christ? As I went on to explain the passage, I saw that the Pharisees and the scribes did not know that Christ was the Son of God or that he was come to save them. They were looking for a king, the son of David, to reign over them as they were. Something was telling me all the time, you are no better than the Pharisees yourself. You do not believe that he is the Son of God and that he has come to save you any more than they did. I do not remember all I said, But I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul, and I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. Whether it was something in my words, or my manner, or my look, I don't know what, but all of a sudden, a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up, and putting his arms up in Cornish manner, he said, The Parsons is converted! The Parsons is converted! The Parsons is converted! Hallelujah! And in another moment, his voice was lost in the shouts and the praises of three or four hundred in the congregation doing the same thing. Instead of rebuking this extraordinary brawling, as I should have done in a former time, I joined in the outburst of praise, and to make it more orderly, I gave out the doxology, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And the people sang it with heart and voice over and over again. My churchmen were dismayed, and many of them fled precipitously out of the place. Still the voice of praise went on, and was swelled by a number of passers-by who came into the church, greatly surprised to hear and to see what was going on. When this subsided, I found at least 20 people crying for mercy. Those voices had not been heard in the excitement and the noise of thanksgiving. They all professed to find peace and joy in believing. Amongst this number were three from my own house. And we returned home praising God. The news spread in all directions that the Parsons was converted, and by his own sermon, in his own pulpit too. So clear and vivid was the conviction through which I passed, and so distinct was the light unto, the, unto which the Lord had brought me, that I knew and was sure that he had brought me out of a horrible pit and into the miry clay, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock. And he put a new song in my mouth. He had quickened me, who was before dead and trespass and sins. And at the end of this great eventful day of my life, my spiritual birthday on which I passed from death to life, being born from above, I could scarcely sleep for joy. Now, isn't, isn't joy a wonderful thing? It's just so cool. And so there's another fruit of the Spirit. I'm just getting started. There's seven more of them. Okay, so where do we go next? Um, peace is the next one. Peace. And the Greek word for peace is irane. Irane. And the world oftentimes describes peace 
if you go into any secular environment, if you go into a classroom and you talk about peace in any political situation, you'll find that usually peace is, de- is defined as an absence of war. In other words, if you're not at war, you're at peace. Well, that's one definition, but that's not really what God's definition of peace. With peace, God's definition, and I have that in a little story that I heard once when I was in school, and uh, it really, it really, it was, I went to school at Multnomah, so it was here local, it was a local story. And um, it was uh, about, the, it, 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 it's one of these imagination stories. You need to close your eyes for this one. So um, close your eyes and uh, imagine that you are hovering and you, you, like your own little drone, okay? And uh, they didn't have drones back when I heard the story, but we got them today. You're hovering in your drone, but this is a really powerful drone because it can withstand almost anything. And, and there's this fierce, fierce storm that's just raging out there. And the rain is blowing. And you find yourself looking at Haystack Rock down there by Cannon Beach. You're looking out there and you see Haystack Rock. And, and the wind is raging and the storm is howling. And, and you look and you start zooming in. And, and you look and about halfway up the, of the side of that big rock, you'll, see, you'll notice that there's a little crevice. And, and, and you keep getting closer and closer and closer to it. And you look inside the crevice and you see these little doves. And these two little doves are cuddled up next to each other back far enough that the rain isn't bothering them. And they've got their heads tucked underneath the wings of the other one. And they're just laying there watching the storm go by. That is what the peace of God. The the storm, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the storm is out there right now. It's raging everywhere we look. And and it's a pretty bleak outlook right now. For a lot of things. But the peace of God is all of that because God will take care of his children during any storm. And yes, we may have to go through some of it. And he told us that in Isaiah chapter 40. But he said that he would walk with us through it. So if we have to go through a storm, he'll be there with us. And we don't have to be caught up with what so many people today are being caught up with. And that's this worry and this this anxious um, psychological angst that's going on with so many people about the problems that we're having in the world and more 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 accurately in the United States and, and right here in Oregon today. And we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to. We don't have to be caught up in that. I know it's a nuisance sometimes. I talk to everybody. We get away, you know, out here talking. And we all say, I'm just tired of this stuff. I'm tired of having to wear masks and on and on and on. But nothing compared to what it eventually is. It's not easy. So peace is great. God's peace is the great. Next comes patience. Patience is, is macromea is the word, the Greek word, macromea. And patience is long-suffering. Uh, it's endurance, it's uh, steadfastness, it's perseverance. A lot of things for patience. Patience is one of the tough, the things that um, that I have to pray for a lot. Not one of my strong ones. It's another one at the end. This one. Um, but patience is being able to being able to want something or being able to 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 want to go somewhere or want to do something 
and not being able to gratify yourself to do it. Um, you have to have patience, number one, with, your, with yourself so that you discipline yourself not to go out and, and, and make foolish financial decisions, for example. Um, other, other decisions, too. But it's real easy to make a fool of yourself. I did it just a little while ago when I walked up here with my microphone hanging down inside my shirt. And uh, it, it, it's not hard to do. Uh, it's very easy for us to get pay, impatient with one another because someone won't do what you want them to do or they won't do it fast enough. And the great, my great example for that is in, the, is in the food line at the store when you have somebody who's really slow and, and they're picking out their checkbook and you go, oh, no, they're going to write a check. And, uh, and then they start to write the check and you're sitting there going, and it's a little old lady, you know, and, oh, gosh, it just, I've had that happen. And Letha has to, matter with you? So... It's something, it's something that we can work on, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. So look for it. <laughs> look for it, and when you find it, thank God. <laughs> because I know for me, when I find it, I do have to thank him, because otherwise I would never have it any other way. Kindness. That's the next one. Kindness is in the middle of the whole thing. It's number five. And kindness is is what we what we show to other people when we have the love of God inside of us. Um, The great example of that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he was on his way to wherever, and he found this person, this Samaritan. And remember now, the Samaritans were not well thought of in Jewish society. They were the people left over from from the northern kingdom, and they had intermarried with the Assyrians when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in uh, in the in the eighth century BC. And um, when they conquered them, they brought in their own people and they intermarried with the people in the northern kingdom. And Samaria was that area, and so they became the Samaritans. And of course, the Jews looked down their noses at uh, at Samaritans, and right up to the time of Jesus. And so. This Samaritan was lying by the side of the road. And, of course, you, you know the story, how everybody walked by and nobody would help him. And this one guy did. Not only that, but he really went out of his way. And he, he really did kind things. Those kind things didn't come from him. It came from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is who gives us those kind things. Those are, those are the fruits of following him. We're following him. We're going to see those kind of fruits come. And so we can expect that. Um, goodness, goodness. Uh, remember when? The, remember when the rich young, rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, uh, he said, uh, "What can I do? Oh, oh, uh, oh, good, uh, was, oh, good teacher. What, what is it that I must do to be saved?" And Jesus looked and he says, "What are you doing, calling me good? Don't you know that only God is good?" That, that kind of took the kid aback right there. But he's right. Only God is good. But the Holy Spirit working in our lives can allow us to practice goodness. We can actually do things that are the fruit of the Spirit, which involve goodness. And being good to other people. Being kind is one thing. Being good to another person has a moral connotation to it. It means doing the right thing by other people. And oftentimes, is it J.C. Watts, the 
the uh, former Oklahoma football star who uh, was a was a he was a senator congressman or senator from Oklahoma but he used to have this thing where he says he says morality is what what you do when nobody else is looking he says that's or character that's what he called character character is what you do when nobody else is looking and goodness comes right from that too because when you when there's nobody else to see you and you, and you know that you're not going to get any credit for it and you know you're not going to make any points for it and you do it anyway, then then you've heard we have a saying called out of the goodness of one's heart. No, that's kind of what it is. And uh, But real goodness, true goodness, comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the fruits of one. The next one is faithfulness. This is one of my favorite, favorite ones, too, because I have a whole bunch of stuff on this one. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that we as Christians really want to strive for. We want to pray for faith. God, faith comes from God, and we want to pray that he will give us an extra measure of faith because, boy, do we need it. Um, let me see if I can, see if I can, yeah, I've got two pages on this. The best place to go for faithfulness, if you want to find out about faith, best place to go by far is Hebrews chapter 11, because that's what the whole thing's about. And, and it starts right off in verse 1 by giving a definition of faith. And uh, the first verse says, now, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's a huge definition right there because it turns faith into a matter of surety and a matter of certitude. And surety in that we are sure of what we hope for. We hope for a lot of things. Well, we hope in God and in faith, then we can be sure of that. When we're sure of that, we have faith. When we are certain of what we do not see. Jesus is with us in this room. He's promised us. That we're here today talking. He's here. He's with us in this room. And when he's with us in this room, we don't see him. He's here. But if we have a certainty that he is, and Lord Jesus, I am certain that you're here. He's here. And he's blessing us for being here and for thinking of him and for wanting to be the kind of a person that he wants us to be. It's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it great being a Christian? Isn't it just wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to worship Jesus and just love him? I mean, you can't get any better. So, after that, we're off to the races through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 because we start off with that, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away and was with God directly. He didn't die. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear from Ur over in Iraq all the way over to the promised land, Canaan. Okay? By faith, Sarah received strength to to conceive a child at 99 years old. Pretty good. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. And of course, we know that. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but when you read that account, there's a there is an indication, there's a, a little little verse in there that tells you that Abraham believed 100% that God was going to do something miraculous up on that mountain with his son. Because when he put gave his donkeys to the attendant down at the bottom of the mountain, he said, hold these for us. Because he says, we're going to go up and we'll be back down again. He, he didn't say, I'll be back down again. He said, we will be back down again. So he knew that God was going to find a way. 
And he raised that knife up, and he was ready to plunge it in, but he knew that God would find a way. And what happened? Found a way. He himself was the way. There was so much typology in that, in that account right there. We could, we could go on and on for that one. But nevertheless, that was faith. And it was credited to Abraham. And uh, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. They weren't his direct sons. They were Joseph's sons. But he had the faith that that's what was, that was what he needed to do, and he did it. Okay? By faith, Joseph, when he died, mentioned um, the, the uh, uh, Israelites returning to uh, Egypt again. And, um, no, excuse me, he mentioned the Israelites returning back to the promised land. And by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he forsook Egypt. Can you imagine what that took? This guy had it made, but he, 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 he didn't want to do that. And, and by faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. Well, we know all about that one. And by faith, they all overcame. And guess what? It was the Egyptians who died. The big guys with the big bad weapons all ended up at the, was a horse and rider perished in the sea. That song we used to learn when we were in, when we were in camp way back when we were kids. So you can see that that's a great chapter on faith. In that chapter, the writer of Hebrews is telling us by, by, he simply gives it analogy and example. Analogy and example, one and over and over and over again through that whole chapter of what faith is all about. First of all, he tells us what it is at the beginning, and then he tells us what it's all about. And of course, that's not the only place. I mean, I had, I could have gone on and on and on here. I got what twenty verses that I could have gone to to show how faith is is exemplified in our lives. So, but it's a fruit of the spirit, and that's what God wants us to have. Is uh, He wants us to have that faith. Okay, the next one, second to the last one, is gentleness. Where do you think I'm going to go for that one? I'll tell you. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And that's where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle, and my burden is light. I remember the first time, it was after I was born again. It was not, I had read this before. I, I grew up Catholic, and I was not saved. And um, uh, it wasn't until I was 36 years old that I really got saved. And I remember the first time reading that verse afterwards, and it, it brought tears to my eyes because it was a direct, it was a it was a direct consolation from God to my heart, saying I could go to Him for anything. And and I it just just got to me because He would take my burdens. And I, I had a couple of real, real rough experiences shortly after that. A couple of three years later, I had some really, really rough experiences in life. And I was, I was totally at my wit's end. And uh, it was like in the mid-80s, towards 87, 88, those years. And, and I didn't know what to do at all. And I can remember one time laying um, at home and, and, and crying. And, and I was just, I was just. I was just asking Jesus to help me because I didn't know what to do. And I remember that I had the distinct that he was there, he was in front of me, and that he walked up and he held me close to his and and that made it was still a rough situation. And it it, 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 it was a rough situation to get through. Never it had a good ending, but it was a hard good ending. And 
But I remember, though, that after that, not only did I find his gentleness given to me directly, but I found the peace that passes all understanding that came from it, knowing that he was there with me and that he was taking me through it. And so you can see, see how powerful, powerful that these fruits are. When I said hurricane earlier, I really meant it. That Holy Spirit is more powerful than we could ever begin. We we always think of the Holy Spirit, you know, as being this gentle little breeze blowing. Well, yeah, he is a lot of times. But sometimes he can be very powerful. He can knock down the biggest fortresses that uh, that Satan could ever put up. So then that finally brings us to the last one, which is, it's not my favorite one because it's my hardest one, and that's self-control. And, and I am a... I am a, uh, I'm not really a type A personality. I guess on the Myers-Briggs chart, I would be a, what they call an expressive. That means I talk with my hands and I emote, you know, and I've, I talk with feeling and I'm passionate about things. And, uh, and so because of that, um, when I get upset about something, then I <laughs> talk with my hands and I'm passionate about things. And sometimes that can result in, you know, Wild things, you know. I can make. I, I used. There was a time in my life when I had a very, very foul language, and uh, and 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 that's one thing God took away right at the time that I got saved was He took that. So thank Him for that. But I did. It was terrible. And every time I would get upset about something, it would just. That's by the way, brothers and sisters. That's one of the things that just totally breaks my heart to see happening to our young people today, is what's happened to the language that they use and how they take the absolute most vile, profound, dirty, filthy language and spew it out at each other and at people who they disagree with. And it just hurts to see that happen. But that's not surprising at all because it's been coming for a lot of years. It didn't just happen overnight. You can go back 40 years and see the beginning. Anyway, self-control. And... So if we are following the Spirit and if we are thinking the things of God and we are doing the things of God, if we are if we are in his word and we are paying attention to what he tells us and what he wants us to do, I've been here for, what, over an hour here talking and somebody in here probably got something out of something that I said somewhere. Hopefully they did. and But you didn't all get the same thing. And if you did, then... You, you act on it and let God, Holy Spirit, then bear fruit in your life. And, and hopefully you, um, you'll be able to rejoice and be joyful in, in, in just thinking about the wonderful life that you've got ahead of you soon, very soon. Wonderful. Let's pray. Father. We love you, Lord. We live in really hard times now, Lord. I know that there have been harder times, much, much harder for others. But we see it happening. We're not used to it here, not in America. We're not used to the things that are going on right now, Lord. Just not. And um, and so we have a big country. We have a lot of people. They don't all love you, Lord. And and so people are reacting to these to these challenges in different ways, Lord. And, and so... We know, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit in our lives. We know that we live for you. And we know, Lord, that you you love us 
and that you want only the best for your children. And Father, but we pray, we pray, Lord, for for those who don't know. We know, Lord, that there's going to be a rapture soon, and 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 we're. I'm convinced, and, and a lot of others are convinced that we're living in the last day. We're not in the tribulation. That won't come till after the rapture, but we're in the last day. But Lord, you have a you have a certain amount of people that you want to bring to you before this is before this event occurs. Because once that happens, things are going to get really bleak, bad, fast. And and Lord, we pray that you'd bring every last person you would to you. And Lord, if we can be a part of any of that, that's what we want. We want to do that, Lord. We're, we're a little tiny church here. I mean, look at us. Just tiny. We're weak. We don't have any money. We don't have. We barely have a church building. All of us a cute church building. But we just want, Lord, to do Your will, and we want to bring people to You. And every day that passes, Lord, I know I can see it in people's faces. They're wondering more and more about what's going on around them, and they don't have answers. And Lord, I pray that You'd open up doors. And that you'd send people to us, Lord, so that we could proclaim our faith in you. And we could proclaim the gospel to them, that they might be able to come and be with you forever in the kingdom. And that we all may be able to rejoice, and like, like the preacher did. Hallelujah. Praise God.